I want you to imagine for a moment that if, if you're married, you and your spouse are deeply in love. You, you uh, like to spend time together. In fact, not only do you like to spend time together, you schedule times together to make sure that lesser priorities don't encroach on your together time. You're best friends. You like to talk together. And you don't just talk about picking up the laundry or the kids, but you talk about your hopes and your dreams for the future. You make plans together. And when you have problems that confront you as a couple, you work on solving those problems together. Does that sound appealing? I think some people believe that that is an impossible dream, but it's not. It is the result of hard work, high goals, you've got to set a goal, and holy living, that is living according to the teachings of Jesus Christ. So I, I want to talk about marriage during our time together. If you're not married yet, this is a good primer. This is going to get you ready. It's going to make you worth marrying. It'll make you risk-worthy and trustworthy. So I hope that you'll listen closely if you're not married. And uh, if you're single right now, maybe there's uh, some future prospect, or maybe there's some things here that will just Bless you as you think about relationships. Most of the principles we'll talk about work in different relationships and will bless you. It might be that there's some advice you can give to a, a child or a grandchild. But I, I hope that, that we'll be blessed by this, by this study together. I said I know that this kind of relationship is not impossible because Philippians 4.13 tells me I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you believe that? Now, I don't think it's talking necessarily about technical skills. That is, because I was baptized doesn't mean the moment I walk out of the water that I can do brain surgery or dunk a basketball. I think that might take me a while. But what does it mean? It means that when I become a Christian, when I love the Lord, believe in Him, and follow His teachings, I can meet the demands of life. Whatever life throws at me, and whatever happens in my marriage, I can deal with it, I can learn, I can grow, I can meet my responsibilities, in a way that honors God. So I know that God's word will help me with my marriage. Jesus Christ came not only to bless me eternally, but to bless me maritally. He didn't come just to save my soul, although that's wonderful. I think he also came to bless my home. And so 
I'm thankful for all that he makes possible. So number one, I want us to have this belief. Do you believe that if you're married, your marriage can get better? I believe it can get better. That's the hope of the gospel. The more. And the key here, here's the other thing. The key is, if it's going to get better, I've got to get better. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's about me getting stronger, me getting more Christ-like, me becoming more loving. And the more I improve, the more my marriage improves. You see, some men have the, uh, this approach to marriage where they're waiting for things to get better. I don't know many things in life that do get better on their own without some kind of special attention on our part. So rather than working for things to get better, they're waiting for things to get better. And so here's what they do. They complain about their spouse and they wait for her to change. That sounds to me like a recipe for marital disaster. The real key to marriage is not spouse improvement. It is self-improvement. So I want to work on me. Now imagine what happens when I decide that I want to be the best husband or I want to be the best wife ever. I set a high goal. And what happens when I decide I'm not going to wait, but instead I'm going to work on me. I'm going to go first. And when I put all of my attention, focus all of my efforts on getting better myself, I think some miraculous is not the right word, but it's pretty close (laughs) Some marvelous things are going to happen. What are you going to experience? Well, first of all, I want you to know that change comes slow a lot of the time. And the fact is, no matter how hard you try, you're going to have some disappointments. You're going to have some setbacks. It's not going to be easy. In fact, your spouse, when you begin this effort and you say, I want to be the best husband or the best wife ever, your spouse may doubt your sincerity and may doubt your resolve. They may say, yeah, I've heard that before. So it may take some time. I just want you to understand, it may take some time. But if you are consistent and remain focused on that goal, you know what's going to happen? You're going to enjoy a more abundant life, a more rewarding marriage, You're going to have more joy than you ever knew was possible. And this is not the kind of joy where somebody comes and waits on you hand and foot. When we get married, some people are thinking, well, the joy of marriage is what they're going to do for me. We're talking about the joy of spiritual growth. The joy of servanthood. And the joy of a satisfying marriage. So all of these uh, great blessings 
can come our way. But we need a motive, don't we? If you're going to do something, you need a reason. If you have a good enough reason, you can do almost anything. So I want to talk about motivation for a minute. If, if we're going to focus on our marriages and we're going to strive to be the best we can be, why should I do this? Well, I, the first reason I would give you is you might want to do it for God. God's gift to you is your marriage. God created marriage. And your gift to Him is what you do with your marriage. You glorify Him. You honor Him by the way that you treat your spouse. There is nothing you'll put in the collection plate. There's nothing that's going to come off your lips as we sing hymns that's really going to make a difference if you're mistreating your spouse. The highest expression of your devotion to Christ is how you treat your spouse. It's number one. It's not the only thing, but it's number one. Once you enter into that special covenant relationship. So, I believe you're more likely to hear these words from Matthew when you, when you make this commitment. These are the words. Well done, good and faithful husband. Uh, but really, what is a husband but a servant if he understands what he's committing to, if he understands his role? Well done, good and faithful servant. So that's important. That is so important. You know, when we get married, we make this commitment. Do you remember when you proposed? Or when you were proposed to? Do you remember the promises that were made? I'll do everything to my... If you'll just... Give your heart to me. If you'll just commit to me, I won't hurt you. I won't disappoint you. I'm going to give you the moon. I'm going to give you the world. But somewhere along the way, we get busy with life and we get a little distracted. You know, one question I have for you is, did you enjoy life more then or do you enjoy it more now? If there was more joy then, you need to go back and do the things you were doing then and get better at them so you can write a new chapter to the ending of your life if that's what you want to do. But I think it starts out with, I will do this for God. If I won't do it for me, I'll do it for God. I think you should do it for your spouse. Guys, let me talk to the guys I believe you should do it because she needs you. And honestly, she deserves better than she's getting. So maybe you need to apologize and say, listen, it's taken me a long time. It, it took me 30 to 35 years to wake up and realize uh, that marriage wasn't all about me. So I tell ladies, hang in there. It's just 30, 35 years. Uh, these guys, you know, they may have an awakening and Things can change. Don't give up. But, uh, you know, let me challenge you to see through her defensiveness. 
There's times when she's going to be stubborn. And, you know, you're, may, you may feel like she's uh, being a little difficult. I want you to see through her defenses to the woman who's waiting to be cherished. And you have a choice. Are you going to fulfill those dreams that she has? Are you going to be the man of her dreams? Or are you going to break her heart one more time? So if you won't do it for yourself, how about doing it for your spouse? Remember what you promised her. Don't forget. Or maybe you want to do it for the kids. When we think about our children, a lot of our Christian faith is caught more than taught. And Deuteronomy 6 tells us about the importance of example. It takes instruction. I'm not saying don't instruct them. But we want our example to be consistent with what we teach and to adorn the doctrine of Christ. So, what about the kids? What they see in you defines what they think is normal. That's what they believe is normal. And what I want to challenge you to do is to raise the bar of their expectations. So that understanding that this idea of what is normal creates their future reality. If if this is what they expect, this is what they're going to do. You then have the opportunity to show them that a husband and wife really can respect each other. That you can cooperate together. That you don't have to make decisions by who spoke the loudest or who spoke the longest. You can show them that happiness really is possible. So maybe if you won't do it for you, would you do it for your kids? And then there's you. There's you. So do you remember when you got married? How many people were in attendance at your marriage? If you had, uh, if you had 300 people at your wedding, raise your hand. I just want to see. All right, got a, got, got a hand or two there? Okay. If you had 100 people at your wedding, raise your hand. Lots of, okay. If you had 50 people at your wedding, raise your hand. All right, see several, yes. If you had two people at your wedding, <laughs> raise your hand. Yeah, okay. The romantics, okay, all right. I tried to get my wife to elope. She wouldn't do it. Afterwards, I was glad. We got a lot of loot. I, didn't, I wasn't thinking about all the loot that you get when you go through the showers and all the big process. But in any case, I want you to know that when you got married, the angels were also in attendance. And they were delighted when you pledged your undying devotion to your spouse. You made a commitment. The most important commitment a human being can make outside of becoming a Christian. 
and your spouse entrusted his or her body to you and his or her dreams to you. And uh, this is just a wonderful thing. Now, when we look at those commitments that we make, some people say big deal. I mean, in our society today, people say, big deal, what's a vow? You know, those are just words. They don't really mean anything. Uh, they believe it's just social convention. You know, really imposed on us by religion or superstition. But those are just words. They don't mean anything. Well, that's what the world says. God's word says it's a big deal indeed. In Matthew chapter 19, we're told what God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. And especially the husband and wife themselves. Don't you be the one who's putting this marriage asunder. When you read in the book of Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Malachi in the second chapter, about how seriously God takes pledges and covenants and promises. It will, it will give you pause. So here you have this opportunity that God has given. And when you keep your word, keep the promises you made, not just the vows, but all of the intentions, all of the promises... When you keep those vows, you keep your character, your credibility. And uh, this choice to be the best spouse ever, be the hardest thing you've ever done in your life. I just want to tell you right now, it's hard work. But it will be the thing that you're proudest of in your whole life. And, And there's no dusty trophy that you got for playing baseball or football, no fading certificate, no past glory that can begin to compare with being the godlike person who brings the blessings of the Lord into the life of another person to make a difference in somebody's life, to do them good and to bless them. So that's a wonderful Wonderful opportunity that we have. Now, we've got some motivation. I'm going to do it. I'm not just going to do it for my self-image. I'm going to do it for her welfare. It's not just what people will think of me. I genuinely care about how she's doing or how he's doing. But having a motivation is just part of it. We also need... We also need a goal and a plan here. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians in the ninth chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And you remember Paul was talking about athletics. And he says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, 
but we unimperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. All right, let's, let's look at what he says here. Uh, I've been to Athens. I've seen where they had the Olympic Games. Uh, just a short, short drive to the south. You come to the uh, Corinthian Isthmus, and they had the Isthmian Games, probably what Paul is referring to here, using an analogy to help them understand spiritual truth. And Paul, when thinking about the kind of devotion necessary to be successful in athletics. I mean, he liked it. He admired the grit of athletes. And he said, you know, I think that same kind of attitude would help us in our spiritual lives. That, that we need to, to live, let's put it like this, that Christians need to live goal-directed lives. So he's not saying that you're just going to be the one Christian who gets to heaven because you have exceeded everybody else's efforts. He's just saying, isn't it a beautiful thing to see anybody focus all of their effort and attention toward a goal and to give supreme effort? And one of the things that he mentions here is that when you do that, you subordinate every other desire to this goal. An athlete doesn't feel like getting up, but he gets up because he knows he needs to do this. He needs to go exercise. He knows he wants to eat a gallon of ice cream, but maybe that's not going to help him. So he, he uh, takes a little yogurt or he just uh, eats some fruit. You know, he begins, if you have an academic goal, uh, you can go to the movie, you can play Xbox for the next three hours, or you could do your assignment. Uh, if you do your assignment, the next 50 years will be more pleasant than if you just go to the movie. So when you have an academic goal or an athletic goal, you need focus and you need discipline. And he says here, it's the same thing when it comes to progressing in the Christian life. And you see, marriage is a part of the Christian life. So if we can become more focused, more committed, more determined, we have a goal. I want to be the best husband ever. I want to be the best wife ever. And if we will subordinate every other desire so that we can achieve that, wonderful things can happen. Now they're doing it in Greece, or they're doing it in Corinth to win a, a laurel wreath. I mean, they don't even get their picture on a box of Wheaties. I felt sorry for them, okay? But they get this laurel wreath. Now, why are we doing this? Here's the prize. To win your wife's heart. What joy it will be to gain her trust her respect, her admiration. That's a prize worth striving for. But he says there's a problem. 
He says there's a problem. Now, an athlete has this plan uh, to get ready. I, I, I don't look like it. I run marathons. It takes a plan. You've got to get ready. Three months, six months is better out. You've got to start increasing your runs and pacing yourself and, and getting ready. And so athletes, uh, real athletes, elite athletes, how much more do they do that? But sometimes you have people who kind of set goals and they're not following them. They're inconsistent. They forget their purpose. Are there husbands who make promises to their wife and then go through their marriages aimlessly? That's what Paul talks about here. I don't run aimlessly. I don't just beat the air Some men go through their marriages like they don't have a goal, without any kind of plan. They're not getting any better. They're they're oftentimes getting worse. It shouldn't be that way. So we need a plan. You know, the plans don't have to be difficult. The plans can be very simple. In fact, one plan is just to continuously look for small things that you can do to bring joy to your spouse. You want to be the Sherlock Holmes of marital happiness. The clues are there if you'll just look for them. I mean, honestly, every day can be an adventure. When you get up looking for a new way to bring happiness to your spouse. But look for little things. It doesn't have to be humongous. Look for the little things. It's not just diamonds. It's not just fancy dinners. It's kindness and consideration. Uh, Let me give you an example. At the Johnson house, during those first 30, 35 years, you know, uh, I was kind of into my own thing, not paying attention very well. And I, honestly, I had good intentions, but I was running aimlessly. I wasn't really getting better. And, And one thing that often irritated my wife was that she would be in the kitchen and she would come back to uh, put something in the trash. And you know what would be missing? A liner. Now that's a little thing, but it's an irritation when that happens time after time after time. Now, of course, I would tell her, well, I meant to, (laughs) you know, like, Words take the place of actually doing something. Well, I meant to. I just forgot. Well, after about the 50th or the 500th time, you know, those words didn't mean much to her. But then one day I I learned. I don't know, guys, if this helps you or not. You, You may be totally different from me. I figured out I can't trust my rememberer. It just doesn't work all that well. And so I said, you know, let's try something different. And I started, when I would take the trash out of that can, when I would take the liner that's full out, I would tie it off, and I'd set it there by the can or by the cabinet. And I'd put a new liner in before I took the trash to the curb. Voila! Isn't that amazing? I'm a a genius. Instant 
brownie points. I have reduced a little of the irritation in my wife's life. But it's more than that. She feels adored. Why does she feel adored? Because she knows now that I'm actually trying to bring her joy. I am trying to give. I'm slow. It may, it may not happen as fast as it should. But she sees that. And so we can begin looking for things. Small things. They require a little bit of discipline and forethought. Not that much effort, honestly. Not that much effort. So what you have to do is look around your house and think about, you know, where are those recurring problems? That's your best return on investment. Find those recurring problems and look for that simple solution. It could be leaving dirty clothes strewn around the bedroom or the house. It could be leaving dirty dishes in the sink. It could be leaving the lid up and you hear a scream in the middle of the night. It it could be leaving the house at the last minute. It could be leaving without a kiss. It it could be a, a lot of different things. But look for something simple and think about how you could remove an irritation and bring a little joy. What do you think happens over 50 years when a man gets up and every morning he's thinking, how can I bring joy to my wife today? You see, it's not the monumental things. It's the little things. Incrementally, slowly, we make these small changes But there is no limit to the happiness, and it works both ways. What happens when you are outdoing one another in these expressions of love? In the book of Romans, in chapter 12, it says in verse 10, Love one another. Here it talks about with brotherly affection. We're talking about with with affection for our spouse. But he he says this, outdo one another showing honor. Now this is exciting. What happens in a marriage when instead of a contest of wills, instead what we have is two people trying to outdo one another in expressions of love. We have a little money left over at the end of the month. You're going to use it. No, you're going to use that. It kind of reminds me of those goofy chipmunks, uh, Chip and Dale, a little bit obnoxious when they're bending over to uh, try to put the other one first, and they never can make any forward progress, but yet charming. It's kind of fun to see and to to think about. Uh, But where are we going to go? Well, we we went to my mother's last time. Let's go to your mother's. Well, no, this is a special time. You see what I'm talking about. It is possible to get to that place where each one is considering the other first. And when that happens, wow. You know, when you have two selfish people, life can be pretty miserable. Joy is rare. If you have one unselfish person, 
and the opposite. Well, you'll have a sporadic joy, occasional joy, but what happens when you have two people who, because they want to obey and honor and please God, express their love for God by how they treat their spouse, look every day for a new way to bring happiness and joy to their spouse. Wow. Joy is as regular as the rising of the sun. It's an everyday occurrence. So, we're talking about striving to be our best. Now, are you a little worried when I talk about being your best? Being the best husband ever? Being the best wife ever? Some people think that's not Christian. That, that, that's, that that's a problem. Well, this isn't a claim. <laughs> I don't want to claim I'm the best, but it's an aspiration. It's not arrogant. It's an aspiration. It's an intention. And we're not talking about, I'm going to be better than Adam, as if we're competing against each other. We're talking about, I want to be better than I've ever been. To be the best is to be the most desirable, the most satisfying, the most productive of good, the highest standard of excellence or quality, to be outstanding. And ever means, well, more than ever before, more than any time in the past. I want to be my best. Is that different from being better? Some people want to be better. A lot of guys say, well, I'm better. I'm better better than I used to be. Well, what's she complaining about? There's a lot of wiggle room in better. There's a lot of fudge room. And what I want to suggest is shooting for best versus better is a totally different thing. Totally different. You ask a a completely different set of questions. You're not trying to just salve a nagging conscience. All right, I ought to do something. You're not just trying to get a nagging spouse off your back. What are you trying to do? I want to shoot for the stars. I don't want an average marriage. I don't want scraps of happiness. I want to see what God really intended for a husband and wife when they live according to his principles. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to show my children. That's what I want to model Every person, when you're living in your marriage and faith and hope and love, you bless every, not just each other, every person you come in contact with. It's a wonderful thing. So here we're talking about no half measures. We're talking about supreme effort. You can't have the best if you don't shoot for the best. And you can't be your best without being her best. So I want to set a goal. I want to be the best husband ever, best wife ever. It's not about comparing myself with others, except for one. I will compare myself to one, and that's Christ. That's a good comparison. Because you see, really, when I talk about being the best husband ever, I'm thinking about Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, We read in chapter 5 and in verse 25, Husbands, 
love your wives. Okay, well, how do I do that? Can you give me an example? As Christ loved the church. Well, how did he do that? And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. You see, Jesus was the best husband ever. His bride was the church. And guys, if we will love our wives and give ourselves up for our wives like Christ loved the church, your sweetheart is going to be blessed. Wonderful things can happen if we'll take the pledge. I want to challenge you. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, you need to count the cost. You said to go, you need to count the cost. I want you to count the cost. Am I really willing to make this commitment? Would it be worth it to glorify God, to bless my beloved, to inspire my children, to secure my destiny? Would it be worth it? I think it would. And joy beyond measure can be yours when you seek to honor God in your home first. Thank you.